0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Craig B. Weldon about his career in the military and his insights about successful and impactful leadership to bring the best out in your people. Craig Weldon, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
1: Thanks, John. Thanks for inviting me today.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to have this conversation. Uh, You have such an illustrious background and career, uh, and I'll share your bio with everyone in just a moment. Uh, But because of your background and because of the work you've been doing, uh, I think the the framing for today's episode is going to be around um, leadership insights to bring impactful leadership uh, out and allow you to get the best out of your people. Uh, and I thought, you know, among all the many things you can discuss, uh, character and the importance of character as a leader's basic building block really resonated with me as I was looking through the materials in your book. Uh, and we can elaborate on that a bit. I think. Sure.
1: sure.
0: Um, as we get started, I just wanted to share Greg's bio with everyone. Craig Weldon's leadership journey began as an Eagle Scout at the age of 14. 13 years later, he was the youngest general in the United States Army. Combined with another nine years as a member of the Senior Executive Service uh, with the U.S. Marine Corps, he has led thousands of soldiers, sailors, Marines, and civilians while serving 10 years in Europe and another 12 in the Pacific. In 2011, he was inducted into Purdue University Tri-Service ROTC Hall of Fame, and in March of 2019, he published leadership, the art of inspiring people to be their best, winning three national book awards and attaining number one international bestseller status on Amazon. Craig is now a global Fortune 500 speaker and lives in Bluffton, South Carolina. Uh, again, what an amazing career. I'm sure you have many, many uh, stories to tell uh, You know about all the things that you've seen over the years. And uh, I look forward to hearing your insights that you have to share with me and the listeners today.
1: So, John, I don't know if you said 13 or 30. I heard 13. <laughs> that would have made me 27 when they made me a general. It was actually 30. I was 44 years old, but uh, it may be just my hearing.
0: <laughs> uh, I might have said that. So I, I was trying to to make you look even more impressive. Um.
1: <laughs> I don't know how many people believe that, but... Uh,
0: but thank you if I said that wrong uh, yes so 30 years later uh, which would make you what 44 not 20 not 27 <laughs> thank you thank you um, anything else you would like to provide uh, listeners by way of background personal context anything like that
1: yeah I know give some insight into um, the way I think about what's important in life um, I was in the army for 30 years and um, about Two years prior to that time, um, I had a pretty dramatic event in my life. My sister committed suicide, and it really changed my uh, thought process on what I wanted to do and how I wanted to go forward. And we can talk about that if you like. But I decided to retire from the army at 30 years, uh, go into the private sector, and reprioritize my life and focus on my family more than a military career. So I said to my wife. Um, Let's, let's go do things that uh, focus on our, on our family. We moved to Celebration, Florida, and about five years into that, my wife said, I'm, I'm ready to move back to Hawaii, which was our last assignment in the military. And I said, you know, Hawaii is really expensive. I'd have to get a job. She said, a good idea. <laughs> so I started looking for opportunities to get back to Hawaii, and two years later, the Marine Corps created the position that I then held for nine years as the Executive Director of Marine Corps Forces Pacific. And about two years ago, she said again, I'm ready to move on back to the mainland, which shocked me because I thought we were in Hawaii to stay. And I said, where do you want to go now? And she said, East Coast, that's where family is. We're too far from family. And so we, after doing a lot of research, we settled on Bluffton, South Carolina, and we've been here about a year. Um, So I guess the point of that story is that I listened to the rest of my family, I listened to my wife about what was important in her life and really took you know, paths that I didn't expect to take. And I started climbing a new ladder. I've got a whole chapter in my book called How Tall Is Your Ladder? I climbed the army ladder, I climbed the Marine Corps ladder, and I'm starting a whole brand new ladder that I'm climbing as an author and speaker. And I've only been on it for about a year, a little over a year. And I'm 69 years old. So I guess the moral of that story is it's never too late to start again.
0: Yeah, and we're always learning new things and growing. I actually really like that, um, that framing. And I, so I'm just curious, what what part of Hawaii were you in?
1: I was on Oahu, the main island. Uh-huh. Uh, we lived on the, uh, the windward side, which was the northern side of the island. Uh-huh. I worked at Camp Smith, which uh-huh. is on the leeward side which is a southern part of the island
0: yeah I, I was there with my family um uh for an academic posting uh back in when was that 2016 or 2017 um and m- most of the people that lived right around us um worked on the base so yeah, i think we
1: were at the east west center
0: yes that's right
1: yeah yeah i'm familiar with
0: it yeah yeah anyways great uh, beautiful place uh, wonderful people that I interacted with, you know, socially, you know, in the in the community, um, and and many of them who worked, uh, I believe, where where you were stationed. Um, so that's that's wonderful. Um, okay, well, I appreciate that framing and, and a little bit more personal background um, that you were just sharing because I do, I do think that really does inform kind of your overall approach uh, as you, as you make these, um, these shifts in your career at at different points, like you said, the, 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 ladder, the career ladder you're climbing and then you decide to pivot. And, you know, sometimes I think about like, is my ladder even leaning against the right wall, right? Or is it, or is it time to reposition my ladder? And I don't know if that's kind of the way your metaphor works in your book. Um, but, but I think a lot about that, um, you know, is is this ladder positioned in a place that will actually get me to where I want to go or am I just climbing a ladder because it's where I'm at and it just seems like what the next step is that I, I go up the next rung. And it sounds like you've been self-aware enough to to recognize that when the time is right, you know, sometimes you make a pivot, um, you, you know, you're very wise to listen to your wife and her needs and the needs of your family. Uh, so I think all that's, those are good uh, life lessons, I think, for all leaders trying to navigate, you know, the complexities of life.
1: Yeah. So if you don't mind, let me tell that story about the the latter. I was a Please. student at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas in the mid 80s. <clears throat> I was a young major. And the, the chief of staff of the Army came out to speak to the class. And there were about 800 of us, of us sitting in the, what we called the big blue bedroom because all the seats were blue and sometimes people fell asleep. But at the end of his presentation, he took questions and a major raised hand. He said, hey, sir, uh, can you define success in today's Army? Is it 20 year career so that I can retire? Is it lieutenant colonel? Is it battalion command? How do you define success? What should we be striving for? And the Chief of Staff of the Army thought a moment. He said, you know, most of you probably think that I've been very, very successful. And we all thought, duh. (laughs) And he said, I'm a four-star general. I'm the Chief of Staff of the Army. I'm the senior guy in the Army. But I can assure you there's about uh, 10 or 11 other four-star generals, and there are a couple of them that if they were in my shoes, in my position, and they retired in this position, they would be disappointed. And we all thought, how in the world can that be? And he said, because a career in the military, a career in the corporate world, life, quite frankly, is like climbing a ladder. When you start off at the bottom and you reach out and you grab that first rung, it's not that difficult. And for all of you sitting in the audience, that was when you got commissioned as a second lieutenant in the United States Army. And the next rung above that's not too hard to get either. Your feet are still on the ground, it's right there, and so on and so forth. But the higher you climb, the more difficult it is because the rungs get further apart. The air gets thinner because you've been climbing. You're tired because you've been climbing. And at some point, you're going to get to the last rung on your ladder. And most of you are not going to get to the top of the ladder. In fact, very, very few of you are going to get to the top of the ladder. The top rung on the military ladder is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. I'm the Chief of Staff of the Army, I'm gonna retire as the Chief of Staff of the Army, and I'm gonna be perfectly content and happy. But I can assure you, there are a couple of my contemporaries out there that if they got to that rung that I'm on right now, and they looked up and saw the next rung and they weren't able to get to it, they would be disappointed and they might even be bitter and they would carry that with them for years, how close it was. So my message to you today is figure out what's an attainable, achievable rung on your ladder. Strive to get there, but be satisfied when you get there. And I thought at the time, that's pretty good advice. I wanna be a battalion commander. And I think I will have had a very successful career if I had become a battalion commander. Now for your listeners, that's a Lieutenant Colonel uh, who has had anywhere from 15 to 20 years in the service and commands anywhere from 500 to 1,000 soldiers. You are essentially the CEO of that organization. And I got to that level a a few years later. And I told myself when I got there, anything after this is gravy. And it was. So every promotion I got, every command assignment I got after that, I said, this is icing on the cake. I got to where I strove to achieve the, the rung on my ladder. I ran into a number of colonels, both in the Army and in the Marine Corps, who were high achievers, very, very talented, but didn't become generals. And some of them left bitter and disappointed, uh, and they carried that with them for years. I have a good friend who talked about it for years afterwards, how close he was. And I said to him, you need to put this behind you. You need to look forward. Find yourself another ladder to climb. Don't worry about that one. You were very, very successful uh, attaining the rank of full colonel commanding as a full colonel. The fact that you didn't make general officer is unfortunate, but you know sometimes that's the way the ball bounces. Get on another ladder. And as I said a little earlier in our talk, that's what I've done now. I've gotten on another ladder called author and speaker. And I'm starting at the bottom, starting to climb that ladder myself. And it's all about the journey. So after I wrote that chapter, it struck me that some people will say, well, then you are asking people to accept a level of mediocrity and not to be uh, striving to be the best they possibly can. So I added another chapter called the 1% Advantage, and I'll leave it to your readers to read it. But the moral of that story is, if you strive to get too high on that ladder, be aware of the risks that are associated with that to your personal life, perhaps to your physical life, and certainly to uh, your professional life. Because very, very few people get to that level. Athletes who become gold medalists at the Olympics, even if they attain that, sometimes they drop off a cliff afterwards. Uh, entertainers, uh, i give you half a dozen examples of people strive to reach the very top of their ladder. And we got there, they crashed. It's kind of like climbing Mount Everest. When you get to the top of the mountain, you say, wow, I got here. Well, guess what the hardest part is getting down and that's where most people die
0: yeah oh that 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 is an incredible perspective um, and I love the the story of the latter wise wise words and it's it is difficult though because we we are part of a society that you know the the way we tend to frame and value you know what we call success um, it is a little bit What you just said is quite counterintuitive to that, right? Um, You you think you have to continue to move up. You have to continue to make more. You have to continue, you know, keep up with the Joneses and just make sure that you're always um, displaying, you know, this growth and progress and the idea that, hey, maybe I can just learn to be content with the opportunities that I have, make the most of them and be the best I can for the people around me within that context, you know, that is success. And I and I think that's really, really important. And I, I'm as susceptible to it as anybody. Um, you know, I, I love what I do. I, I do some consulting um, on the side. I do this podcast. I do a lot of writing. Um, but mostly I'm a professor. You know, I love being in the university space. I love teaching students. I love working um, in that kind of an environment. And, if, if I were to ever change uh, my ladder, like and that may happen at some point, right? I, I still have 30 years ahead of me in terms of my, my uh, uh, at least 30 years ahead of me in terms of my work life. And if I ever decide to change that ladder, it, it will dramatically shift the nature of kind of my day-to-day life, the quality of life, the autonomy that I enjoy, the flexibility I enjoy with my family. And so that always has to go into it. That has to go into my decisions. Um, because within academia, you know, you kind of uh, you progress. I mean, there is progression in terms of levels of being a professor. Uh, i'm I'm already at like that top level. And so unless I want to go into administration um, at a university, then I'm kind of where I'm going to be at for the next thirty years. Yeah. Uh, am i am I okay with that, or am I going to get antsy and feel like, I'm not successful because I'm not continuing to progress. And it's just a different way of, frame, of framing success, the opportunity to impact people. Um, and, and, you know, one of the things that I know, um, well, well, it's the tagline to your book is the ability to bring out the best in people, right? How, how, what role does that play in us feeling like we're a personal success in our leadership um, and that we are really making an impact in the world around us? Uh, we need to be honest with ourselves about that. How, how how big of a role does that play in our own, um, you know, self-efficacy, self-esteem, and how we view our role in in our community? I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press Will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities, and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life.
1: Yeah, so I let me tell a story. I, I worked for a three-star general once who was an absolute consummate gentleman. Never raised his voice in anger. Uh, never yelled at anybody, uh, was very, very bright, was very, very capable, very organized. He, he was an introvert, uh, but he was in the Myers-Briggs world. He was an ISTJ, so he was very organized. Sharpened his pencils every day, lined them up, made a list for what he was going to do the next day, ticked it off as he went down every day uh, through the, the work um, day. And a colonel came up to me one time. I was, I was his deputy uh, when I was a two-star. And he said, you know, General so-and-so is the toughest guy I have ever worked for. And I thought at the moment, I thought at the time, how in the world could that be? And I asked him, I said, what what are you talking about? And he said, because I never wanted to disappoint him. And boy, that just spoke volumes for the type of leader that that three-star general was. Because this colonel, and I understood this because I felt the same way he did, the last thing in the world we wanted to do was come in and disappoint the boss. Uh, that would have been crushing. If he just turned to us and said, you know, I'm really disappointed in you, it would have just destroyed us. Uh, So it it speaks to the kind of leader that he was, the kind of inspirational leader that he was because of the way he treated people, the way he encouraged people, the way he gave credit to people, uh, the direction that he gave us all, uh, which was headed in the right way and then allowed us to do what we needed to do to get him there, to get the organization. And we, when we arrived there successfully, he would turn to others more senior to him and say, the credit goes all to them. not yeah. to me. If we screwed it up along the way, it's my fault. You know, yeah. those are the kind of attributes I think, and the kinds of character that great leaders have. And he was filled with it.
0: That well, that That's awesome, and I, as you were sharing that, I'm thinking, well, there's kind of two different ways, two different styles that might have that kind of a, re- a reaction from an employee or a team member, right? Um, one is what you just described. Um, the other, though, is more of a tyrant, fear-based approach, right? Because yeah, yeah. no, nobody wants to disappoint a boss when they know they're going to scream at them, when they know they're going to embarrass them in front of the team and all those sorts of things. Um, But clearly that wasn't his style. His style was an empowering style. You didn't want to disappoint him because you were so loyal and committed and you valued his opinion so much, not because of fear. And I think that's a huge distinction. uh, And it's a good lesson to all of us as leaders that kind of fear-based, compliance-based leadership, it can get results. You can get people to do what you want them to do, Um, but it's usually more of a short-term kind of an approach and it's not sustainable over time. And so if you're trying to get long-term commitment from people, long-term loyalty from people, you have to do everything that you just said. it sounds like this this general um, possessed those characteristics.
1: Yeah, raising that second point actually uh, brought to, to the fore another story. When I was a battalion commander, I had a thousand soldiers and the hierarchical organization of the military is that I had five company commanders. They were captains. They had about anywhere from six to eight years service. And they had each 100 to 150 soldiers in them. If you are the type of leader who is soft-spoken, who is like the three-star general that I uh, just told the story about, you have to be careful to make sure they don't underestimate how important they view the mission. Um, And I had a captain, I think, that viewed me that way when I was a battalion commander. And I remember an incident one time when we were standing in the headquarters. And it was clear to me that he didn't understand how serious I was about uh, a particular task that we were set out to achieve. So I turned to him and I said, you know, you don't want me to get ugly. You really don't. And if if I do, it's really for the wrong reasons. But I could get that way if I did. And then I gave him about a 20-second demonstration of what ugly looks like in a leader. And then I came back and I said, you don't want that. (laughs) And neither do I. So let's not go there. Let's move in the direction uh, that I said we need to go. Uh, And and I think the light bulb came on that he saw in in a short period of time, in about a one to two-minute conversation, standing in the hallway he saw Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> and he said, I, I don't remember which is which, you know, the Jekyll and Hyde is the good, the bad, and so forth. But he really didn't want to go on my bad side. And I don't really have a bad side. But I told him, if that's the way people need to be motivated, uh, certainly that's a way I can get. But you don't want that. And neither do I.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and... and- I think what comes out of this discussion and in, in the last couple of stories you shared really comes back to your chapter on character, and you were even alluding to that in in this general's um, demeanor. What what is that kind of what we talk about in terms of character? What exactly is that? Why is it important in a leader? Um, you know, do is it really vital for me to be able to to lead people well, or can I? can I skimp and cut corners and um, what does that end up doing um, if I'm trying to, to, to lead
1: effectively? Yeah. So when I drafted my manuscript, my book, you know, it was a manuscript I hired an editor in California and I sent him the manuscript and uh, asked him to take a look at it and tell me what he thought. And one of the things he came back to me with was what is the most important aspect of great leaders? And I said, strong character. And he said well then that ought to be chapter one in your book to make that point that character is the most absolutely the most important thing so that's why character the foundation of all is you know it's the foundation of all great leaders is in fact the first chapter of my book and i tell the stories in there about people who had strong character i tell stories about how my character uh, got shaped and when i was a college student in rotc during the vietnam war uh, and there were protests on the ca- campus and so forth and again i 'll leave it to readers to to read that but the the grit it takes to be a strong leader and have the right kind of character uh, is w- one of the elements that i didn 't have as a college student until about my third year in college and Then a light bulb came on uh, but character's got so many components to it and is so important that I actually, at the end of the chapter, refer the reader to two more books to go look at. Um, One of them was just written a couple of months ago uh, by the former uh, superintendent at West Point, now the president of the University of South Carolina. And he wrote a whole book on character, which I think is fantastic. And so I re-edited my book. I updated my book to add his book at the tail end of my own. And um, I I just think that, you know, people who have weak character, uh, that weakness will eventually show. And they may be able to fake their way through it for a while, uh, but when the pressure really gets on them, uh, they'll start to crack. And so the greatest leaders, I think, uh, have the strongest character.
0: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, you, I, I do think people can fake it for a while and and if, yeah. it, as long as things aren 't too hairy <laughs> and, and, and the pressure 's not too high, you, um, you know you, you can get by. Uh, the problem is inevitably there'll always be something thrown at you that you didn 't expect, and in that moment you, you have to choose how you 're going to respond and and a leader without good character, what they end up doing is they usually End up throwing their people under the bus. Um,
1: right, right,
0: right. They they they're trying to, to watch their own back rather than uh, pr- you know uh, protect and support their people. And and then of course once that happens, they've lost all credibility, all trust, and really their ability to lead after that point is 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 dramatically diminished. And so the sustainable approach has to uh, include. Uh, Real, real, honest to goodness character, and and people can see it. They they really can um, ascertain that as they uh, as they start to experience you uh, through difficult times. And and it's one of the reasons why I think you know this pandemic has been a really interesting kind of sifting opportunity for organizations uh, and for leaders because some have really stepped up to the challenge. Um, and shown their character and how they treat their people and how the organizations treat their people. And others have been exposed. They've been exposed uh, as people that were faking it. And and yeah. and now organizations have to figure out how they're going to adjust.
1: Yeah, my editor actually said after we determined that character would be chapter one, he said, "Tell me what's second most important." And I said, "Trust." And he said, "Then that ought to be chapter two. And at the beginning of chapter two, I actually have a quotation from Booker T. Washington, who said, few things help an individual more than to place responsibility upon him and to let him know that you trust him. And I used to go into every new organization and tell my organization, uh, even before I started working with them, look, I entrust you until you demonstrate that you're not worthy of that trust. Um, And that put what I believe is a healthy kind of pressure on them. Because the last thing they wanted to do now was to violate that trust, uh, because they didn't—I didn't even know them—but I was taking a bit of a leap of faith with a good organization saying, um, "You know, I trust you." Classic example of where I needed to do that was when the Army told me I was going to be a base commander, having spent the previous twenty years learning how to. Uh, fight America's wars as an armor officer, as a cavalry officer, and when I became a full colonel and came out on the command list, he said, you're going to be a base commander. Now, that's a guy who's like a town mayor or a town manager who's paying the electricity, holding town halls, doing labor union negotiations, building buildings, paying, uh, running the child care center, all the kinds of things I had zero experience on. And when I went into that organization, the first thing I said to them was, I know very little about running a base, but I think I'm a pretty good judge of character and I trust people. And I trust your organization because I've seen what you've done in the past. I've actually lived on this base for the previous 18 months. I've been a customer. So I understand that you do things very, very well. And I want to be here as your new commander to help you in any way I possibly can but I don't want to get in the way. So tell me where I need to be. Uh, Tell me where the problems are. Tell me what additional help you need and I'll let you do your job. And I had a wonderful experience. By the way, I didn't want to go into that job because I was at a fork in the road where I thought I was about to go right and circumstances took me left. And at the time I thought, why is this happening to me? Why is the army telling me I'm going to be a base commander when I've spent 20 years learning how to Fight America's wars, and I'll tell you—that's—I tell you for your listeners—that turn at that fork in the road was the best thing that ever happened to me. I couldn't see it at the time because I didn't know what the future held, but all the things that I achieved after that, both professionally and personally, and growing as a person as an Army officer, um, I never would have gotten the job with the Marine Corps had I not taken that road less traveled back in the early '90s as a base commander. So as I sit and rewind history and go back and say, how did I get to where I am today? Part of the reason is because of that uh, turn I took way back when. And again, I didn't I didn't see it then. So I guess the message for you listeners is you will find yourself at a fork in the road, and circumstances will take you in a direction that you didn't expect and perhaps you don't even want at the time. And my experience has been, oftentimes, it works out just
0: fine. Yeah. And in fact, sometimes it just works out far better than you ever could have hoped had things gone the way you planned. Um, Well, Craig, it has been a real pleasure talking with you. The time has flown uh, and we're about out of time, but I did want to give you a chance before we close today to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about your speaking and your book uh, and anything else you'd like to share as we wrap up.
1: Yeah, so I have a website, craigweldon.com, spelled D-E-N, not D-O-N, W-H-E-L-D-E-N. I'm easy to find. If you Google me, my website will pop right up. And on my website, you'll get a window into my soul. Everything you need to know about me except for my DNA is on my website. There's a demo reel there. There's uh, testimonials about me, my speaking, my book. There's podcasts, there's articles, there's blogs, there's all kinds of stuff on my website, and you can reach me through my website. I'm also on LinkedIn, uh, easy to find. I'm uh, ready to accept uh, new connections all the time. And I'm anxious to go out and speak to corporate America, to the nonprofit world, uh, and to organizations that are worthy. I just got an invitation yesterday uh, to speak to my local uh, police department here in Bluffton, uh, South Carolina about leadership. And that's an audience that I am more than happy to give my time to. I'm a regular speaker at the Los Angeles Fire Department Leadership Academy, uh, and they have adopted my book as part of their curriculum. Uh, So I'm anxious to give back uh, to the next generation those things that I've learned over many, many decades. One more story and then I'll let you go. Two years ago, about two and a half years ago, when somebody said, what do you want to do next? And I said, I want to give back what I've learned over many decades to the next generation. They said, Well, you need a book. I said, A book? Are you kidding me? I can't write a book. You know, that was pretty intimidating for a guy who'd spent 30, 40 years in the military. And uh, as your listeners have heard, my book has uh, done very well. I did write a book. Uh, it's won three national awards. It's a best seller internationally. It's had thousands of downloads or, or online purchases. Uh, And it's really tied to my presentations. It's kind of the yin and yang. Uh, So I'm very satisfied with where I am uh, telling my story. I like the Pied Piper and um, welcome uh, engagements. I also do a lot of uh, one-on-one coaching with people um, when they ask for it. And sometimes even when they don't.
0: (laughs) Thank you, Craig. It has been a real pleasure. I, I appreciate you uh, devoting your time to our conversation today. Uh, and for listeners, I hope you'll reach out, get connected with Craig, check out his book, uh, find out more about what he might be able to do to help you and your organization. And as always, I hope everyone stays healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I, I hope you all have a great week.